Lots of things go better together. Hockey, food, golf, peanut butter and jelly, Gojo and Golik, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. What? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Gojo with Mike Golub Jr. Uh, that's me with me as always. Producer Brandon Newman. Brandon, um, not uh, the normal show today for uh, the main reason of what we saw on Monday Night Football last night. Um, jarring, emotional, um, where we, we took the night. And, and got up this morning to record this podcast so we'd have as much information as possible to give to people uh, to try and pass along about what happened with DeMar Hamlin, uh, second-year player out of pit for the Buffalo Bills last night in Monday Night Football, um, and, and what went on there. Uh, full transparency, we recorded an interview um, with Parker Fleming from the Purple Theory podcast to talk about TCU football and stuff. That's still going to be on this podcast, but that was recorded before everything happened with DeMar Hamlin. And so, you know, obviously not anything anyone's got to listen to before they're ready to, or at all, if you don't want to. It's a podcast. We'll timestamp it. We'll put it at the end of this. You know, you're going to hear us on there, you know, laugh and talk and, and, and act normally in a way that probably wouldn't have been the case had it been recorded before. Um and so that'll be there, that'll be separate, and if it's not for you right now, that's totally fine, but just didn't want anyone to be unprepared for that. Popping up at the end of this, it was recorded before, Parker didn't know, I didn't know at that point, and so that was what we were operating on then, and Brandon, that's kind of the the situation now, so for you know, just to give all the information before we kind of decompress some and and look at how everyone's feeling around this situation. Here is what we know uh, happened last night uh, during Monday Night Football in the first quarter. Buffalo Bills safety DeMar Hamlin had his heartbeat restored on the field after suffering cardiac arrest during the team's Monday night game against the Bengals and is currently in critical condition at a Cincinnati hospital, the Bills said in a statement early this morning. Um... Hamlin uh, was administered CPR on the field for multiple minutes after he collapsed after a tackle against the Bengals wide receiver T. Higgins. Hamlin received oxygen, according to the ESPN broadcast, and was placed in an ambulance and taken off the field about 16 minutes after he collapsed uh, during that game. Timeline-wise, this is essentially how it went. The injury occurred at 8.55 Eastern. At 9.18 Eastern, the game was temporarily suspended. At 9.25, an ambulance left the stadium. And at 10.01, the game was initially postponed. And so, first and foremost, Brandon, you know, we, we offer up our thoughts and prayers like everybody else. I think seeing the 
the unif- unif- unification of support in the aftermath of something this traumatic was like the one encouraging thing in all of this to see so many people wrap their arms and wrap their love around Damar Hamlin, his family, his Buffalo Bills family, and really everyone you saw on that field last night dealing with one of the worst things any of them had ever seen. And I think that's kind of the the image that struck so many of us and sticks with so many of us is the immediate reaction and the look on the faces of his teammates and the coaches who very quickly realized this wasn't some normal football injury. This wasn't something that they were used to. This was something far, far worse. And the gravity of that situation really it struck everyone, struck me. Like, how are, how are you feeling? How are you doing? Because th- that was a, a, a lot for those players and coaches and that family to process, but it was also something that everyone watching in on that, uh, you know, certainly also a, a jarring experience. Yeah. It's a becoming jarring experience for a lot of us and traumatic for a lot of us, but it's a, it is still just solely and specifically about DeMar Hamlin and him and his family and him getting back to some sense of normalcy after this. But yes, Mike, it was hard to see every football player's nightmare. Uh, I think we talk a lot about the mindset you have to have to go out there and do what you do and do what players do, especially at the elite level of the NFL players. And a defender goes out there and makes the play that he's supposed to make, hops up, and then collapses immediately afterwards. Like that, that's terrifying for you to be, for you to make the right play just as you were supposed to make it textbook and in all the right, in all the different ways. And for you, that to be possibly his last play ever is, is terrifying. It's scary. It's, uh, made me kind of rejigger how I think about football and the game and the importance around it. But like you said, Mike, it was great to see these men and, and decision makers around the game make a human decision uh, when, yeah. when forced to. Yeah. And, and that was, that was one of the things is the timeline of this, because there was a lot of questions about the way the league handled this. And I think we're still going to be waiting for information on how that went down. We saw during the game, Zach Taylor, the head coach of the Bengals, and Sean McDermott, the head coach of the Bills, went over to each other on the field. There was a conversation there. There was a conversation amongst the teams before they ultimately went back into the locker rooms. And that was where, right now, based on what was talked about during the broadcast and what was reported, we think the coaches got on the phone with the league office and started having those conversations. I was glad that the ultimate decisions and the conversations had by the men, especially on those teams who just had to watch that happen to their brother, like someone they love, Mm -hmm. someone they see every day, especially the bills players. And for guys in the Bengals who witnessed that as well, there was a ton of emotion, but I'm glad they got to do that part behind closed doors because we Mm -hmm. already had to see so much of their reaction and their immediate grief uh, on display because they were on the field when it happened that, you know, it, it, I think took everyone a minute to adjust to the fact on the field because you mentioned it, you're wired to tolerate so much when it comes to the carnage of football by being a player at this level. Like you and I didn't play in the NFL, we played high level college football, but you see a lot, right? Like I, Mm -hmm. I think of all the things that you see on the field. Like we've seen friends go down with injuries and get carted off. We've seen friends 
and games ended on jarring concussions where you have guys completely knocked out and you see the severity, like seared into my brain the end of the Notre Dame-Washington game when we were there. And the game ended on a crunching hit. Two of our safeties hit a Washington player in the end zone. And as soon as he went down, Kyle McCarthy, our captain, was just waving the trainers over and the medical staff owner because he knew that guy was knocked out and knew he needed medical attention right now. And we've seen, I mean, we've seen guys get their entire leg turned around, breaking their leg. And you flip the drill and you move it 10 yards and you hear Riverside and you keep going and... It feels callous because in some ways it is, but that's just, again, I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm saying it's the reality of the situation is that's the stuff that we all just kind of got used to as part of the sport. Like when I was a little kid, my dad had the conversation with me and said, obviously, if you want to play this game, it's your choice. If you play the game as long as you say you want to, you know, knowing what my goals were at the time, if you play the game as long as you want to, you're not going to come out whole on the other side. Mm-hmm. Like there's a reality of the physical toll that my dad was straight up with me from the beginning. And I've seen it with him and how the sports affected his body, the surgeries and the things that he's needed as an older person. But those are still within the bounds of what we have kind of accepted as the carnage in this game that we can tolerate. And so it th- took a while, I think, for everyone on the field to sort of stop and realize Oh, we're not just going to have the cart go off the field or an ambulance go off the field, which has happened before, and people have continued play. That's that's yeah, the definitely. wild reality of this game. And I think it that's took everyone. Yeah, that is the norm. But chest compressions on the field is not the norm. And no. all the things that we talked about here, you could see very quickly shook everyone out of that. And so seeing the players and the coaches take that beat – and then go back into the locker room and start to really process what was going to happen next with this game. Uh, I, you know, I, I can't imagine what it was like for those guys going through that moment uh, on the field, having that all play out in front of people in the way that it did. I mean, that was probably one of the things that illustrated how this was not the same was the reaction from the players how 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 soon they gathered around how 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 concerned the Bengals were as as well as the Bills who were in earshot or eye shot of DeMar Hamlin uh Mike I, and we always talk about this new media time but I do want to take the time to thank Ryan Clark as an as a somebody you know in one of the first former players in this in this media game of the new media that we see now Mike but everything he said last night with Scott Van Pelt needed to be said um the jargon that gets used when it comes to the love of the game uh I'll die for this like I I I'm a soldier I'll die, on, I'll die or rather go out on the battlefield like all these words that what is it describe death but they're just trying to displace like uh you're trying to show how yeah you're and, trying and to commitment. show how much it means to you right exactly and 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 this is one of those instances that makes you uh think about that and and and, and as someone who for, who's a, as a former player and as someone who's I'll be honest like has aspirations to be a fan in that way of my own children playing in the game like i it was it was very it's jarring for everyone 
But something else that Ryan Clark said that I think is worth repeating is that let's not forget that DeMar Hamlin was a 24-year-old living out his dream. Like he was exactly where he wanted to be last night in that moment, making a play, biggest stage, biggest game, the the game that had implications for uh, playoff seeding and all these things that seem so antiquated and, and, and small in comparison. But this individual human, this man, this 24-year-old who's at the peak of his abilities is in critical condition right now. And it, that alone is, is, is scary. It's terrifying. It's, 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 uh, it's paralyzing. And, but we just really do hope and pray that, that this is a success story. And, and I don't, and I don't know if it's, I don't know why I need it to be. I just, I desperately just well, need this, him to be okay. Yeah. I, I we all want to see him get to be okay because to your point, he's a incredibly healthy, incredibly fit 24 year old. And this kind of stuff does not happen normally to people like that. At least not in our minds. Like you're indestructible yeah. at that point. You're, you're, yes. you're indestructible. And for the players on that team, for everyone involved, they know him as more than just a player. Mm-hmm. They know his mom, who we talked about being with him in the ambulance, going over to the hospital on the broadcast last night. And they know the things he's done in the community, his goals and aspirations. Like they know him the way we all know a lot of our teammates, which is mm-hmm. better than almost anyone else because of the time and effort that you put into all those goals that you talked about there. And so there, I'm sure bleeding for their brother. We saw Stefan Diggs after pleading with police officers and personnel outside the hospital to let him in to see his friend. Mm-hmm. Like that that's how deeply this hurts all them. But I'm sure and I think it's because it's an unavoidable part of being human and doing the same thing that he does where I'm sure a lot of them also looked and said that's not supposed to be able to happen to us. And if it can happen to him, what's to stop it from happening to me? And now all of a sudden when that shell that you put on, because you got to put on physical armor, certainly build up your body to play this sport, but there's got to be a lot of mental armor of walking onto that field. And I remember an offensive line coach of mine saying, you know, the mentality is 10 foot tall and bulletproof. That's how you've got to approach every play. And because if you don't have that mentality, you're you're playing slower and you're putting yourself at risk for injury in the way that we all know is possible. And so you sort of find a way to compartmentalize and block out all these terrible things that can be possible, all the stuff that we described that's normal run of form for football, and you don't even entertain, you don't have the ability to comprehend something like this. And so that's why I think you saw these guys rattled to their core was obviously the first and foremost, the thought of their friend where they're all at, where we're all at, but also just seeing mortality on the football field is not something that we're conditioned to really be able to process or understand in that setting. And so, you know, process wise, the NFL also um, had a call last night. League officials uh, were on a call uh, talking about some of the parts of this process because there was this notion of a five minute warm up resumed to play that got discussed during the broadcast and got discussed by some people after. And NFL executive vice president Troy Vincent was on this call. Um, he was also a former player. 
Mm-hmm. And his full statement on this said, quote, I'm not sure where that came from. Frankly, there was no time period for the players to get warmed up. Frankly, the only thing we asked was that referee Sean Smith communicate with both coaches to make sure they had the proper time inside the locker room discussed what, to discuss what they felt was best. So I'm not sure where that came from. Five-minute warm-ups never crossed my mind personally, and I was the one And I'm not saying this to be selfish, but the one that was communicating with the commissioner. We never, Mm. frankly, it never crossed our minds to warm up to resume play. That's ridiculous. That's insensitive. And that's not a place that we should ever be in. And so uh, that's not a discussion I really am interested in having right now. The NFL has certainly not earned the trust of the public when it comes to how they deal with the bodies of players. I think that's always going to be a tough notion for some people. And it's it's well-earned skepticism by yeah. a lot of people. But because of how outside of the norm this case is, you know, we're thankful that the medical people responding had a plan that those people were quick to act and quick to get him the help that he needed. But for everyone else, operations-wise around this, maybe there should be a plan. I'm not an expert on game day operations, and maybe there should be a more concrete plan for when something goes horrifically wrong in the middle of the game for how you're going to respond for everything around the moment, knowing that the medical personnel, all those people that are trained for that are going to respond in the way that can make sure the life gets saved in the middle of all this. But again, that seems secondary and largely unimportant, but that was what the NFL said about that particular notion that had been put out there. Um, And they've really, uh, and the last update on that, and this is from Jonathan Jones over at the NFL on CBS said the NFL wanted the focus of the call to be on DeMar Hamlin and not the game. There's no update of if, and when the bills Bengals game will be rescheduled according to the NFL rule book, full authority rests with Roger Goodell in an emergency situation like this. And so I think again, rightly all focus is going to stay on DeMar Hamlin right now. And so hopefully when you listen to this podcast, there's already the good news update that we're all hoping for here. Hopefully DeMar Hamlin and his family and his football family all get a chance to see and hear from their brother or at the very least hear and know that he is going to be okay in this process. And after this process, Brandon, because this was a legitimate traumatic experience and hopefully everyone involved is given the resources to go out and try and process that as best you can. I mean, the only thing that it, you know, is even remotely similar in being a traumatic experience that I know you and I went through was the passing of Declan Sullivan at our football practice, our senior year, one of our video operators, unfortunately uh, in a tragic accident, lost his life during our practice. And, in the chaos surrounding that brand. And it's something that still registers a lot today. And it's because that was non foot. Like that was just legitimate trauma. We saw someone die that day and how you go about processing that after is certainly unique to everybody, but it's just to, just to underscore that this is different than the norm for all the reasons that we've said. And so I hope these guys, are given the resources and given the time to contemplate and digest and try and reconcile with this in whatever way they need to grieve this in whatever way they need to, because it's, it's insane to even think about now, but at some point in theory, these guys are going to continue to play football this season. And I don't know how that happens. I've never been in their shoes with something like this specifically that happened on the, on the field in the way that it did for them. And so yeah, you know, 
you would think they would need some type of concrete answers to move differently or safely. And unfortunately, when these things happen, there's always that finger that gets pointed to the victim when it comes to the immortality of these things. And it's like, okay, them, not me, but I don't see, I don't see a way. Obviously you just have to move forward. That's what we're doing right now. This is the second time we try to move forward with this conversation. So I think it's going to take some time for, for plenty of people and it's all individual, but I feel for uh, everyone. I feel for the football family. I feel for everyone who was watching Monday Night Football on ABC last night. Like, this is a lot of eyes got a chance to see this horrific, traumatic incident. So there's a lot of people that need help on the back end. Yep. A lot of people saw the risk that is ever present when you step on the field to play this sport. And... That is a staggering reality uh, to this situation. But the reality right now is, again, uh, centered on Damar Hamlin, and that's where it should be. So uh, love and light to him and his family, man. Um, whatever you believe in, I'm not someone who prays often, but I promise you I, I'll pray in this case if, if it'll help even a little bit. If there's anything that you believe in that you do, do it in the name of Damar Hamlin today um, and hope that that young man – gets good news soon and we get good news about him soon that we can all report here. And this can be, you know, a, a, a horrific part of the journey and not the end of the journey here uh, for the young man that by all accounts, and we've seen so many stories pouring in about his efforts off the field, him as a person and a teammate seems like an exemplary young man. Um, and so hopefully he gets the chance to continue all of those things outside of football that are far more important in, in his life and for everyone around him right now. So um, we're going to take a quick break here. Um, uh, again, different podcast today because of the nature of this. We don't have a lot of reps of how to handle this. This is something that's new for us, but didn't feel right to to cover a bunch of other stories today to do this, that, and the third today. Again, because this is a podcast, I feel a little more comfortable in saying, hey, we have this interview with Parker Fleming talking about TCU football and things that are comparatively far less important. We'll have it time-stamped, and if that's not for you today, you can cut it off here. You can come back to another day. You can come back to it not at all. But it's going to be there. It's going to be on the other side of this break. And then that will be the end of the podcast. There won't be this, that, and the third. We'll be back with you guys tomorrow. Again, hopefully with better updates and with more time to process what went on here. So thanks so much. Uh, Appreciate everyone. Stay safe. We'll talk to you soon. Growing up playing sports, I learned really quickly that how you do the little things is how you're going to do everything. That's why coaches always harped on us about having our hand behind the line on sprints or picking up our locker because that was going to directly translate to critical moments on the field, making sure we're lined up right, taking the right steps so we can go out there and execute and win ball games. Small actions can have big benefits, just like how taking care of your gut can support your entire body's health. That's where our friends at Seed come into play. Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic is going to benefit your gut, skin, and heart health in just two little capsules a day. I just got my welcome kit and started taking Seed's DSO-1 myself 
myself, and I'm loving it. I love the convenience of being able to have it in the cabinet with my other supplements because you don't need to worry about refrigerating it, and I love the free travel vial that comes along with it. I'm constantly on the road, and so being able to take DSO-1 with me on the go is huge for my lifestyle here. I'll tell you what else I love is the fact that it's backed by science. DSO-1 was developed in collaboration with Seed Scientific Board and based on their foundational work in probiotics and the microbiome. And with new clinical trials and breakthrough research published in top scientific journals, Seed's probiotic research development and innovation programs make DSO-1 a product you can trust. And it's great in convenience, too. Probiotics and prebiotics work best when they're used consistently, just like any other routine health habit. And Seed's subscription service is going to easily help build DSO-1 into your routine, again, with no refrigeration required. So, trust your gut with Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic. Go to seed.com slash gojo and use code 25gojo to get 25% off your first month. That's 25% off your first month of Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic at seed.com slash gojo, code 25gojo. Sound the trumpets, it's horse racing time. So saddle up for the action with DK Horse, an official DraftKings affiliate. Right now, new customers who download the DK Horse app can get a 100% deposit bonus up to $250. Just deposit $25 or more and complete the playthrough requirement. Wager on your favorite horses, then watch the races live right in the app. Download the DK Horse app now. New customers get a 100% deposit bonus up to $250 when they opt in with code GOLIC. Only on the DK Horse app. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER, 18+, plus, 21+, plus in certain states, to open or access an account and resident of a state where DK Horse is available. Eligibility restrictions apply. Void where prohibited. One per new customer. Match calculated on first deposit up to a maximum of $250. Deposit requires two-time playthrough of settled wager within 168 hours. Bonus released in $25 increments. Deposit and eligibility restrictions apply. See terms at dkhorse.com. All right, very excited. Uh, as you guys know, this is a podcast that has spouted off a lot about the fun purple team in Fort Worth that's been balling this year. And so to help spread more TCU propaganda, we brought in the big guns here, Parker Fleming from the Purple Theory podcast. You can also check him out on Twitter, at StatsAWar, tweeting out all of the best charts and graphics possible, trying to explain college football to the masses. Parker, how you feeling, man? I, I can't believe I've woken up what twice twice now since the game is over and, and every day I woke up expecting uh, the, the the whole process to have been a dream. It's just uh, amazing what Sonny Dykes has done this season and the fact that TCU won this dang football game on Saturday. It, it really is and I don't think can be overstated what an incredible year over year turnaround this has been. Like, did you have a moment? Was there a game during the season where you started to kind of dream about what could be possible or what this team might be capable of on the top end? Yeah. So in the, in the off season, uh, my podcast co-host Grant and I really talked about, you know, looking at the schedule, looking at where TCU has been eight and four would just be in a great season for this TCU program. Sunny Dykes comes in level sets and says, Hey, let's restore some normalcy and then let's build. And when TCU came back from down 17 against Oklahoma state, um, that was the point where we thought, okay, you could explain every win up there. Oklahoma, Dylan Gabriel got hurt. Kansas, their you know their defense is what it is, and Jalen Daniels was out for for significant time there. They come back and just do this Oklahoma State thing, and you think, 
oh, there's some mojo here. There's something weird going on. And I still kind of thought maybe they're going to, maybe they're going to come back to earth. Maybe they're going to, you know, uh, hit some pot or negative regression. And that Texas game, man, was maybe the most stressful football watching experience in my entire life. And that was when I thought, okay, I think, you know, that weekend on the podcast, we said, you know what, we have to start using the P word. We have to start talking about the playoff here because this is a reality staring us in the face right now. So um, kind of nice to see them, you know, incrementally get more serious attention as they prove themselves through this gauntlet. But um, definitely, uh, definitely that that Oklahoma State game was like, there might be something going on here, which is, is really, really fun. I remember I was on the call for that game. That was my first trip to a uh, first of two trips to Fort Worth this season. And it was pretty incredible to watch that in person. But you mentioned, and this is the question I always got asked as the outsider coming in is from the national level, what's the perspective on this team? What are people saying? What's that conversation? What was that like on this big stage now to watch the way that some of the nation who still hadn't kind of come in and done their due diligence or homework on TCU. What was it like kind of watching the reception of this team on the biggest platform the sport has to offer? Well, it's been it's been really, really great. I mean, I think you saw this offseason. There was a couple big 12 teams that did a really good job with access and got some reporters in and and said, let's because you know, there is some PR to that. But there's also some, hey, we're building something exciting. Come see. TCU has been closed, you know, radio silence, not not very open at all. So just to see videos from training camp was just amazing as a TCU fan. Like, oh, we're allowed to have fun with this. This is great. And I think that it was really fun to watch kind of the national respect and the national backlash. But the best part about it is Sonny Dykes has been so open. I mean, can you imagine a, a TCU football coach wearing a hypno hoodie and going on barstool and talking about drinking with Dana Holgerson? Like, what, what are we doing right now? They've just embraced the media side of it so well. Um, and and, and uh, I really think that the Michigan game was kind of the culmination of people see a non-power, they see a small private school with a weird mascot that's that's in Texas that that should be the little brother to the flagship universities there, and they think, oh, no way they can compete. And that's been, I mean, that was 2010, right? There, that's that's no way they could ever beat Wisconsin, right? They can't compete here. And at TC's heard that time and time again. So really nice for them to get the respect they deserve all season, and then back it up with a win on a national stage against one of the best teams in the country. How much of this is also vindication from the very first college football playoff season? Because I know in talking to people, that was always kind of the specter in the background and in the minds for a lot of TCU fans who were of a certain age who were, you know, have conscious memories of that run and what happened to them at the hands of Ohio State in the last ranking. Yeah, absolutely. And 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 certainly we were um, prepared for kind of a perverse irony of TCU being kept out in 2014 because they didn't have the conference championship game and then potentially being kept out in 2022 because they lost the conference camp championship game. But certainly validating not only that um, TCU was finally allowed a path to play for a national championship, but that they showed up and they did compete. That's super vindicating, um, especially for this team that, you know, hasn't gone to a bowl. In 2020, they, they qualified, but the game was canceled. Um, and a guy like Max Duggan, who from day one was expected to redshirt, had to come in and start, has been through so much. Um, this is just the realization for, for a great group of seniors and, and, and some guys who have really, really been through it. Uh, so on multiple levels, this has just been an extremely satisfying and gratifying season. It's exactly what Fort Worth, uh, what Fort Worth and the program needed um, at, the, at the right time. So that year-to-year change, because people have pointed out, yeah, there's some portal guys that jumped in here. You know, you had starters, especially on the defensive side of the ball, that came from outside of the fold. But in general, it's a lot of the same roster from a team last year that wasn't bowl eligible. So what was the biggest change outside of maybe like vibes? This seems like one of the premier vibes teams in the country for all the Sunny Dykes-related program access and just relaxed 
vibe that he sort of brought to the table. Yeah, so I definitely the vibe ship, you know, talked about they they're doing the hypnotoad meme more than they ever have and and the and the videos from spring practice. Um uh, obviously, their strength and conditioning program, I think, has gotten a lot better as well. Um, and, and that's really paid some dividends with health down the season in a, in a season where everyone in the Big 12 had health had health problems. Uh, TCU really didn't. And I think that's the result of some of this offseason work they've done. Um, additionally, I, I believe that what TCU used to do on offense was say how the, 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 um, uh, the, the target equation, like what they were trying to maximize was how do we maximize scoring while minimizing any potential error at all? And um, that is really a, a little bit of a scared way. But, but the most important thing is that it, it isn't saying, what do we have and how do we make the best out of this? It is saying, how can we do as little as possible and still win? Huge fundamental shift here with a guy like Max Duggan, for instance, at quarterback. Um, there are offenses Max Duggan cannot run. They just He can't do it. He's not going to be able to do if you ask him to do things that he can't do. But when you design an offense to highlight his strengths, to get him to do what he is best at being mobile, making one or two reads, throwing those passes over the middle of the field, um, which he really wasn't, you know, they weren't doing before that offensive philosophy, I think matters a whole lot. And uh, on the flip side with the defense, I think you get a lot of people who the switch from Gary Patterson's kind of, you know, half field calling out all 11 responsibilities every play to a little bit more if then reactionary principles based defense has allowed some of these guys a longer athletic leash. So in addition to uh, Mark Perry, Johnny Hodges coming out of nowhere. You have guys like Dylan Horton, uh, Trevius Hodges, Tomlinson, D. Winters, who are able to highlight their athleticism, have a longer leash in this defense, and 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 reach that kind of next level as well. So definitely some vibes, definitely some personnel. Also just some slight tweaks in scheme that kind of highlighted and maximized the talent on this roster, which was third best talent in the Big 12 by far in terms of team talent composite coming into this t- uh, season. You mentioned with Max Duggan some of the strengths there. Where are you at? Because I've seen as we've gotten more and more closer to this, a lot of people calling him right-handed Tebow or ginger Tebow there. Is there any part of that comparison other than maybe the desire to go out there and leave every game like bloodied with your jersey tattered in the way that Max does just with the style and effort? Definitely has the uh, the heart and the gamesmanship yeah. for sure. I think that the um, the the... You know, the, the image a lot of people have of Max Duggan is him running for his life for the last three years between some some poor offensive line play, some schematic fits that weren't great, and then being a little overwhelmed. Um, and, and so I think that um, his legs are certainly valuable, but he's much more valuable with that, hey, I can I can I have a cannon. I can put the ball downfield where I need to go. There are gonna be some of those passes over the middle of the field, he's gonna come in a little too hot. But I think his kind of calm under pressure. And that that deep threat where if you don't respect it and Quentin Johnston gets behind you, Max Duggan's going to find it. And we've seen that happen multiple times this season. So um, his legs and his rushing ability have been great. He's rushed fewer uh, times this season than he has in any you know season in his career because he's able to run those pass plays and get through those progressions and scramble less and have a little bit more time. Um, I, I might say he has a better arm than Tebow. I don't know if he's as good a runner as Tebow. So I might calibrate that a little bit, but certainly love to see a kid play four years, loves the sport of football and like literally wants to bleed to win, which is just, just really fun. Wants to bleed and lick his fingers. Apparently, as I saw that go viral on the TCU uh, TikTok once, uh, once he kind of hit the internet with that. But, um, the defense was also interesting because there was a lot of the talk going into the Michigan game about Michigan going to bring the Big Ten to the Big 12 and these sort of notions of the 3-3-5 that a lot of people were projecting, which is wild to me that we were acting like the 3-3-5 was some sort of new concept 
for people. And maybe this is outside of Big 12 country where people have not been used to the defensive revolution that's gone on inside this conference for a while now. But how stunned were you by that, the perception of this defense heading into the game, which clearly erased that with conviction early on? Yeah, I went on a couple of Michigan podcasts and there was all these questions about physicality and and um, kind of like, well, Michigan's going to have five big linemen. How are they not just going to blow past the three down linemen on TCU's defense? And and frankly, that, a lot of that is is stuck in like 2005. Like the, the tight front has been around for a really, really long time. And the issue is specifically with Gillespie's defense. He calls it, you know, the spill and kill. Um, and so you're going to see a guy like Dominic Williams, a, ta- a defensive tackle who was 17 coming to camp this spring. Um, that has you know been awesome as a freshman. You're going to see him play and not get any stats, not get tackles, not get pressures very often because his role is soak up the a gaps, and the big man can do that. And they're going to try and funnel it out to the b gaps. They're going to try and funnel it outside and let those linebackers um, make hits there. And so it is very confusing for an offensive line that thinks, hey, we're just going to run our normal blocking assignments and and be able to find those guys. Sometimes you might be more physical than the other team, but if you don't know where to block them uh, and you don't know where they're going to be, there's not really a lot you can do about that. So hopefully. Uh, one, credit to Joe Gillespie for, for doing a great job against the team where if they had tried to line up in a bare front or something, they would have gotten pushed around. Two, um, I hope this is a reckoning moment for a lot of people to say like, hey, I can understand that football is more than big man push small man. You can, you know, and that's something TC has been doing forever. You think about the Gary Patterson quote, speed baby back in what, 2005 or whatever. Um, and, and and so definitely a different, uh, a slightly different way to look at football, but but challenging, I think, in a good sense to think, oh, the you know, the offenses are so sophisticated, RPOs, screens, all this stuff they're doing. Um, that's really complicated. Defenses in college football these days are as complicated and as sophisticated as offenses, really seeing a little bit of a catch up, especially in the Big 12 with this tight front that lets you have this extra defender do so much more than than a lineman would. So uh, from that standpoint, I'll include defense on this then because you brought this up before. It allows different types of defenders to shine. It gave guys a different opportunity, maybe body type wise that didn't fit in Gary's defense or just skill set wise offered them that new spot. I'll I'll go offense and defense, and I want to exclude Max from this since quarterback tends to get an outside view of this. Who's the most important player on each side of the ball for this TCU team as it currently sits? Um, offense is absolutely going to be Mark Perry, the Colorado transfer. Um, he, I wouldn't say that he's the best player on this defense, but the way the defense works is they are funneling, uh, the run game for him to make tackles. He has 66 tackles, leads the team, um, from the second there, from the secondary there, he is going to come in and make those tackles. He's absolutely kind of the, uh, the, the linchpin for this run defense, um, this season and has been really, really great. I could list you, you know, I could list you reasons why I think five or six other guys are so important, but he leads the team in tackles. He is that run and fitting kind of swing linebacker safety. And it's just been so valuable. I can't imagine TCU's defense this season without him. And what about um, offensively as, outside of Max? Yeah. yeah. As for the offense, it's, it's, I mean, it's just hard to not say Quentin Johnston. Um, just to see a guy realize his potential um, and not that he has been bad in his past, right? Like he's been good every year, but for them to finally get the offense where he's going, uh, can move the ball around 3.22 yards per route run, just super productive. And that includes a couple games where he was, you know, hobbled and didn't play. That includes a couple games where he um, was kind of a decoy and, and TCU pursued some other options. He's been so great. Average depth of target of 12.9 yards and still averaging almost nine yards after the catch. Like just a huge option for TCU can get separation so reliably. You saw it against Michigan. When stuff starts hitting the fan, they're going to find a way to get the ball to QJ and he's going to make a play. That's been, that's been the dream. Um, 
and he can do it all. He can do it running across this, you know, run across the field on the screen. He can do it one-on-one and burn a guy. You'll see him with his back to the defender a ton. He's almost playing like, I think our friend Richard Johnson talked about how he was like a soccer forward because he catches the ball with his back to the defense and then just makes a move and it's gone. It's so impressive. Um, and, and really the offense goes as far as he goes. Um, I will uh, impose on time and just say Kendra Miller, the running back got lost in Zach Evans shadow and has done an amazing job. And is an absolutely underrated rusher. He's super important for this deep, this offense too. Um, those, those two guys have just been so good for TCU and, and so great that they stuck around. Yeah. And I, I mean, and God credit in this last game to DeMarcado and uh, and what he did stepping in for Kendra in the middle of that game when he went down very early in that one. But you're right. That was the number one takeaway for me after the Oklahoma state game that I did was Quinton Johnston is just different. And he falls into that unique category of player that I talk about, which is nothing this big should move this well. (laughs) And because he can do so much and you can put him in so many places, making him that sort of chess piece like that becomes a real matchup nightmare for a lot of teams, which I I guess kind of, I want to touch briefly on the Michigan game before we look ahead a little bit now, just to say, When you look back on the Michigan game now and what happened there, we've talked about the defense and their ability, certainly the turnover, but what stuck out to you as the reason why TCU was able to come in and ultimately win that game the way they did, hang on to win that game the way they did? I have uh, two reasons that I think are just very, very simple. One, the turnover early on and the, the stop, the goal line stop, and then the pick six. Um, put TCU in a positive game script and Michigan was not allowed to get in a positive game script and then lean on opposing teams, which is what they've been able to do. Even if it's in the second half, right? They've, they've kind of messed around in the first half sometimes this season, but the worry was if TCU can get into, or if Michigan can get into a positive game script, they're just going to be able to slow the game down, lean on TCU and run away with this thing. Um, that turnover, that goal line stop, the defense immediately uh, absolutely changed the outcome of this game uh, from the very beginning. Secondly, that stands out is Garrett Riley, the offensive coordinator. TCU had two big passing plays. One was a, a, only a six-yard, but it was their um, their 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 second offensive touchdown, 83-yard drive, very, very big to Tay Barber. And then that 76-yarder to Quinton Johnston. Uh, Mike, those were the same play. And, and they're, they're a Lincoln Riley special. If you've watched Oklahoma, you know that kind of little dagger screen where he comes behind the line and makes a play. Um, but on both of those, Max Duggan caught the ball, immediately ran backwards, and just got away from the pressure that was overwhelming them, found a way to get the ball to their guy and go. And for Garrett Riley, to dial those up. I mean, obviously those 14 points were (laughs) integral to the six point win, but um, I think the way that they were able to scheme around the pressure was so impressive and still win this game, even though I I think it's not one of their best offensive games of the season, understandably because defenses like Michigan's are, are great and hard to hard to move the ball against. The NBA playoffs are heating up and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And if you're new to DraftKings, you got to check this out. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code GOJO. That's code GOJO for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. 
Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Yeah, no, but to your point, like that's kind of what TCU's been able to do all year is sort of be malleable to the situation and find all these different ways. They've got so many tools in the bag, and you're absolutely right with the tone set early in that game. So I know it's very early looking ahead at a game that will be played next Monday, and for both sides, there's going to be some questions about injury availability for some key parts. Darnell Washington, the tight end on the other side, we mentioned Kendra Miller, who went down early on in this game here, but when you look at what happened in the Peach Bowl with the ways Ohio State was able to stress Georgia, especially on the back end defensively, how much of that do you believe TCU can replicate walking into this game as the opening line I saw was 13 and a half point underdogs to the defending champs? Yeah, I think certainly there's some issue where you thought, man, I wish the I wish like a the 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 opponent that Georgia played before TCU had done like a bunch of running or something and not keyed Georgia in acutely to the weaknesses of their pass defense potentially because TCU will try to win similar style of we have athletes and we're going to try and get them the ball and let them make plays. Um, I, I really think that TCU will will be aggressive, but the the big issue for me is what TCU can do with Jalen Carter. I'm, I'm I'm terrified of that man as I think anyone who lines up across from him is, it, you know, given his whatever his involvement will be how much he plays um if he can really disrupt up front especially because tc win the run and the pass game does so much you know gc gt counter kind of stuff and moving around if he can disrupt that um you know you get tcu into these third and nine situations that's that's going to be really tough when you have a team full of five stars just pinning their ears back saying we're just going to come out we're going to double quentin johnston we're going to come after max duggan uh i i I don't know i stopped tracking this at one point because i was too nervous in the game but one point i believe in the second half uh up into the second half against michigan tc was averaging uh, about a 3.2 average distance on third down um, which is way above their season average, and they were so er- they were so good on early downs. They completely negated one of Michigan's best best um, assets. With Georgia, that's going to have to be so important too. And, and if Jalen Carter can really disrupt, it'll be interesting to see if TCU and Kendra Miller can get to the outside. If they can if they can kind of establish a rushing floor to then give them the opportunities, more plays, conversions, so that they can try and get that home run ball there. On the flip side, I'm. I love TCU's corners. I don't know how you couldn't love THT and, and oh, Josh, uh, as we call him, Josh Fig Newton. Um, and uh, ah! he, he's come out of nowhere. And they have <laughs> been just, they've been great. And one-on-one coverage, they can go step for step with almost anyone in the country. That frees up the interior of your defense, gives you extra men, basically. Um, and so I'm interested to see how Georgia tries to scheme guys open and not, um, you know, just because they know they have to test cornerbacks a little bit more than uh, than they did against Ohio State, it's going to be a little bit rougher there as well. You mentioned the five star element of this. I want to hit before I let you go the kind of big picture conversation around this TCU team because we hear all the time from Bud Elliott and company about the blue chip ratio and this notion of what you need to be able to win a national championship or compete in the playoff at the highest level. 
Do you think, especially now in Portal and NIL era where we're seeing more player mobility and ways to change your team and impact than ever before, is this TCU team emblematic of something that becomes more possible, especially in an expanded playoff field now? Or is this, hey, great circumstance, right coach, right roster, right time, and we shouldn't read too much into this? Yeah, so you certainly have to look at like the two years in the Big 12 before this with um uh, Baylor and with Iowa State kind of being that non-Oklahoma power in the Big 12, as it were, and how close they were to getting to the playoff, even though they weren't quite there. TCU definitely had some help. I think it's very important to say contextually, Oklahoma having some issues this season um, and, and TCU getting a couple bounces definitely helped catapult them into the in the playoff. But like I said earlier, uh, best, you know, third best, third best team to pal- team talent composite in the Big 12 by a large margin. Um and so I think that specifically with the transfer portal, what becomes more important is your two deep and who's actually playing and not necessarily the guys in practice and that depth, which has mattered so much before. Um, and as much as I love Bud and we and I, he and I have talked about this before, um, the blue chip ratio has been non-falsifiable up until now. You think about these teams like the Utahs and the TCUs and the UCFs and the Boise States that, that uh, weren't allowed to compete for a national championship. So we don't really know if they could have won one. The, this is the second time, you know, last year being Cincinnati, that the blue chip ratio is actually being empirically tested. I think it's a great heuristic for kind of who's doing the best and who should we look for for the national championship. But empirically, we get a nice, you know, natural natural experiment here to test it as well. Um, I also think that one thing we'll see with these recruiting rankings is that fit's going to matter a whole lot more. I think we need to be looking at team talent composite by position because it's going to matter a whole lot more. You think about Quentin Johnston, um, uh, you know, if, if he's not there, you replace him with a random four-star, uh, TCU's offense doesn't work. And so fit matters so much for some of these guys too, especially as they can drop down, they can move up and move around and find a better situation to, to maximize their talent. So the fluidity there, I think, only benefits those teams who have you know recruiting rankings in the 30s but need that one extra gear. They can get that through the transfer portal now. It's I, I've said this repeatedly over the last few days as we got the outcome that we did in the Cotton Bowl, certainly saw what TCU was able to do in a number of other teams. The supporters of playoff expansion have been handed gift after gift with the results that they've seen from really the teams ranked five, you know, I'd say starting three down through 12 of, hey, this is what can be possible, especially in a lot of these early round games as you look to expand the biggest party in college football and make it a more inclusive conversation about a lot of these teams. Teams, so we don't have to explain the merits of the three three five to people once we get to the college football playoff. Hopefully, everyone can be a lot more well acquainted with that <laughs> a lot sooner. People can get acquainted with that and everything else TCU related over at the Purple Theory Podcast. Parker, appreciate the time, man. Enjoy the week in the lead up. Enjoy the experience. I know there's a lot of people rooting for TCU and uh, that incredible hypnotic toad. Man, I-, I love it. Thanks so much for having me, Mike. I really enjoyed it, and I'm sure we'll chat soon. Bank.